Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you have them. Would you open them up to the book of Joshua, chapter 24? Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there are hardback black Bibles underneath your chairs in front of you. If you're going to grab one of those, and I would encourage you to go ahead and grab one, you're going to want to turn to page 198. We've made it. Today is our final Sunday in our series in the book of Joshua, which we've been in since January. It's almost July, and we've kind of gone fast through this book. I feel like we've kind of passed over enough that we could come back and just do it all again in a couple of years, but, but we've been working through this, and as we've been working through this book over the last six months, my prayer is that this series has been an encouragement for you. As we've studied through this book, we've had this intricate tapestry of God's faithfulness laid out before us for us to observe. God is faithful. He does what he says he'll do. He keeps his promises. Now, there are times where maybe it doesn't feel that way, where life gets hard, where challenges come our way, but even still, even in those times, God is faithful, and that's an encouragement for us. This book that details the history of Israel's entry into the promised land is also a history of God's steadfast fidelity to his people. And as we come to the end of this book, what we're going to see is that God's faithfulness in the past presents us with a choice in the present that will determine our future. We're going to see that here. Remember, the book of Joshua is more than just a book of history. This is God's word to us and for us. And everything that we're seeing in the book of Joshua is leading us to come to a conclusion. Everything we've seen in this book is leading us to recognize that we have a choice to make as followers of Jesus. And we're going to see that here at the end of the book of Joshua. Now, the last chapter of this book is comprised primarily of this speech that is made by Joshua to the people of Israel as, as he's giving some sort of final instructions to the people. And after that, there's this short epilogue that just kind of closes it all out. But Joshua's speech, it begins in verse 2 with a word from the Lord. In verses 2 through 13, the Lord reminds the people of all of his works in salvation history leading up to that point that they're standing there that day. It begins with how the Lord called Abraham from serving other gods to serve him alone. And from there, it covers all those high points of salvation history. He recounts, the, so, or he, he recounts the, the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and then he talks about the sojourn in, and slavery in Egypt. He talks about their miraculous rescue from bondage, the exodus in the wilderness, the conquest of Canaan, the giving of the land. And after going through all of that, he concludes in verse 13 by reminding the people that the houses and the cities that they live in and even the food that they're eating, all of it is a gift from God himself. The first third of Joshua 24 is a reminder that the Lord himself is the one that's given all of this faithful like blessing to his people. 
The first third of this chapter is reminding us of God's faithfulness in the past. But after Joshua proclaims the Lord's message to his people, Joshua himself is going to step in and he's going to start making a few comments of his own. And like an attorney pleading his case before a jury, he presses the people to make a choice. And that's the part of the speech that we're going to focus on today. So we're going to dive right into Joshua chapter 24. We're going to begin at verse 14, and we're only going to look at seven verses. So verse 14 to verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at just a portion of, of this final speech in the final chapter of the book of Joshua, I ask that you would speak to each one of us. Reveal your word to us. Help us to live in it. Help us to recognize that as the book of Joshua comes to a close, it is presenting us with a choice that we too need to make here in Alberta in 2022. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to see that, that you would illuminate your word to us, that we would understand that this word that was written for a people thousands of years ago is also a word that was written for us today. Would you help us to hear the message of this book in a powerful way and then apply it to our lives that we might live lives that make much of your name, that we might live lives where we're on mission for you every single day. God, you have been so faithful to us in the past. Help us not to take that for granted, but help us to see that your faithfulness in the past spurs us on to live for you in the future. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. We live in a society that loves the soundbite. You know what I'm talking about when I say a soundbite, right? It's that um, short, catchy statement that's meant to grab our attention and communicate some point. 
Sound bites are everywhere. We hear them all the time. And these days, our politicians and our commentators, they will write entire speeches around the sound bites. Because sound bites, they tend to be memorable. And there are some very famous sound bites. Some, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple at you. I'll bet you that you, most of you can finish them, right? So, so here's, here's a couple. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country, right? This one's a little bit harder. These are for my 80s friends, okay? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? Read my lips. No new taxes, right? Sound bites can be memorable. They can be effective. But often, sound bites leave something out. President Kennedy's first inaugural address didn't just call for selfless service to country. It also outlined a new approach for how modern democracies would confront Soviet aggression, and President Reagan's speech at the Brandenburg Gate in West Germany didn't just call for the wall to be torn down. It called for economic freedom and political freedom and nuclear disarmament. And President Bush's nomination acceptance speech at the 1988 RNC convention didn't just promise no new taxes. It celebrated the value of the family and proposed a new course for the movement that we call compassionate conservatism. Sound bites, they can grab our attention, they can communicate important things, but often they don't communicate everything. And in our text today, we have what I would argue is one of the most famous sound bites in the entire Bible. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm sure some of us have that printed on canvases or in some sort of art hanging in our houses. Maybe we've got it on mugs in our cupboards. It's a true and powerful declaration of faith that each one of us should rightfully make. But it's also just one sentence in a much longer speech. And while that sentence is important, if we focus on just the soundbite, we miss the significance of everything else that's being said. Because there's more than just the soundbite here for us today. The life of being a Christian, the life of following Christ is more than just a one-time decision and declaration. And we're going to see that in Joshua's speech. So today, as we look at this text, I have just one big idea for you. I have just one concept that we're going to draw from this speech and that we're going to apply, that we're going to take out of here. And that big idea is this. Can we throw that up on the screens? The Christian life is made up of daily decisions to follow Jesus. That's our big idea. That's the big takeaway that I want you to walk out of here with today. The Christian life is made up of daily decisions to follow Jesus. Now let me show you that here in the text. The first 13 verses of this chapter are made up of the Lord himself speaking through Joshua, recounting all of his works of salvation history leading up to that point. Now, we don't have time to read through the entire chapter. It's a lot to cover. But this afternoon, I'd like to challenge you to go home and read the entire chapter. It'll take you maybe 15 minutes. It's not that long. And as you read it, what you're going to see is this catalog of God's faithfulness in the past. But as you read it, I want you to remember that for Israel, what the Lord was recounting, it, it wasn't ancient history. 
We read verses 1 through 13 right here, and we think of things so far in the past that, that the events described become sterile to us. We read it, and it's simply data. It's, it's events that happened, but nothing more. We think of the events that are recorded there in those first 13 verses the same way we think of the Roman Empire. Interesting facts. But it doesn't have any impact on my life. But I want you to remember that for Israel, that wasn't the case. The most distant events that the Lord recounts there for Israel was only about 800 years prior to that. And a lot of it was during their own lifetime. They're being called to, to remember their own experiences with God. They're being called to remember all the ways that he has been faithful to them in their own lives. And as they remember, Joshua then turns to press them to see that God's past faithfulness presents his people with a choice. Take a look at verse 14. Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. As the people of Israel are reminded of God's constant faithfulness in the past, Joshua presses them to make a choice to serve the Lord in the present. But the call is more than just a decision to serve the Lord. Do, do you see that he's actually calling them to serve only the Lord? He presses them to get rid of all the idols that they have served in the past. You see, the temptation for them was syncretism. The temptation was to say, yes, we'll serve Yahweh, but we're also going to serve these other gods over here as well. And it seems that it's in their DNA. Israel had this long history of idolatry mixed with serving the Lord. Remember, this speech began by calling to mind how the Lord had called Abram out from serving pagan gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. Abraham, before he was Abraham, he served, he worshipped pagan gods. And while Abraham did have a close walk with the Lord and he worked to ensure that his children and his family did as well, within a few generations, idols are back in the family's possession. All you got to go do is, is just fast forward a couple of chapters in Genesis to Genesis 31. We're two generations removed from Abraham. But, but there in Genesis 31, we read how Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, stole her father's Mesopotamian household gods. She stole these idols. She hid them from Jacob. She hid them from her father to bring them with them as Jacob led his family back from Mesopotamia into Canaan. And both in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see the people of Israel condemned because they're worshiping Egyptian gods. This has been a constant problem for Israel. But when we choose to serve the Lord, it's an all or nothing choice. So Joshua is pressing the people to go all in. He wants them to see that it's not enough to claim to serve Yahweh. It's not enough to just say that you serve the Lord. You have to eliminate everything that might try to take his place as Lord. And all of this is just as true for you and me. All of this applies to you and I. Now, now granted, I very much doubt any of us are going to go home and we've got little idols hidden in a back room of our house that we bow down to. But before Jesus, I promise you, you had idols. 
Before you encountered Christ, there were idols that you served. Someone or something was the Lord of your life. We've all served idols at some point in our lives. But what this is reminding us is that if Jesus is going to be the Lord of our lives, nothing else can be in his place. It's not enough to just say, Jesus is Lord. We have to eliminate anything and everything that might try to sit on the throne of our lives. If it's not Jesus, we've got to clear it out. And as soon as we recognize that, we're led to ask some questions. What might be trying to take the throne of my life? Think about that for a minute. What might be trying to take Jesus' place as Lord in my life? There's only room for Jesus on the throne of your life. Everything else has got to be cleared away. Everything else has to move on. There's no room for idols. For Israel, they were clinging to the idols of their past. They were clinging to idols that they had worshipped in the past. So, so maybe we ask the questions, who or what did I serve before Christ? Who or what did I live for before Christ? Ask yourself those questions. Think about that. Don't answer right away. Give yourself some time to stew over that. Did you live for yourself? Did you live for your job? Did you live for your family? Did you live to pursue pleasure? Who or what was the ruler of your life before you met Christ? Who or what was your little G God? We need to answer these questions. And then we need to answer the, the follow-on question, have you put away the gods you served before you decided to serve Christ? Have you gotten rid of them or are you still making room for them in the dark? Do they still have influence and control over your life? I think sometimes we're reluctant to give up our idols. We're reluctant to, to give it all over to Jesus, but there's only room for one person to sit on the throne of your life. So ask yourself the question, is Jesus sitting on the throne of my life? And again, don't, don't answer too fast. Like, really think about that. Because the truth is, someone or something is going to sit on the throne of your life. And so we have to make a choice. As we can come into verse 15, Joshua presents the people of Israel with a choice. He gives them essentially three options, but the truth is there's only one logical choice. I don't know how many times I've read this passage and completely missed the absurdity of the options that Joshua gives here. So look at this verse with me one more time, maybe a little bit more closely. Listen to what Joshua actually presents them, the options he presents. He says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. He's saying, If you think it's bad to follow the Lord, pick your God. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Do you, do you see what he's presenting them with? He, he's telling them, if you don't want to serve Yahweh, then decide which false god you want to serve. And then he gives them the two choices. 
Now listen to this, for the conservatives who liked tradition, who, he, who wanted to follow the, the old way of doing things, he offered them the choice to serve the gods of their ancestors, the gods from across the Euphrates River. For the liberals who wanted to be in step with the times, who wanted to be cool and be in the current social climate, he offered the choice to serve the gods that were popular in the region that they were in in that moment. But what I want you to see is that in light of the only real option, both options, both choices are utterly ridiculous. The ancestral gods had proved to be no gods at all. They didn't protect Abraham. They didn't bless Abraham. They couldn't even speak to Abraham. And the gods of the Amorites there in Canaan had proved to be powerless against the might of Yahweh. Aside from Yahweh, the only options available were pathetic pretenders. And Joshua wants the people to see that. The Lord God is the only real choice in these options that he's giving them. And that's still true for us today. All the other little gods we try to serve, they're pathetic pretenders who can't measure up and will never give us what we're trying to get from them. Your job it's not going to give you what you need. And neither will that bank account, and neither will that spouse or that new toy or whatever you want to fill in the blank. It'll never be enough. How do we know that? Because we've lived it, right? Can, can we be honest about this? We've worked so hard to, to get these things that, are, that are, we think are going to somehow make us whole, that are going to bring us joy. And when they come, when we finally get them, we experience that joy. We experience that wholeness for about 35 seconds. And then it's time to move on to the next thing. There's always more money to be earned. There's always a nicer house to dream about. There's always that other family whose kids are perfectly behaved at all times. There's always a nicer boat or a nicer car or a nicer side-by-side -side or a nicer whatever toy it is you want to pursue. Whatever it is that we're trying to find satisfaction or joy or fulfillment in, it, it's never enough. We cannot find true joy. We cannot find true satisfaction or purpose apart from Christ because he is the only true God. He is the only true choice. Joshua knew that, which is why Joshua led by example. Joshua says, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua recognized that there was only one real choice. There was only one real decision to make, and so he made it. As for me, as for my house, we're following Yahweh. That's what he's saying right there. And there's something kind of cool going on here in the grammar of Joshua's statement in the original Hebrew text that, that we might miss in our English translations. And I know that this is a little bit nerdy. Just, just bear with me here. English majors, you're going to love this, okay? So in this, Francis Schaeffer actually pointed out that the English uses a future tense here. But the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the, the tense has a more full meaning 
It expresses continuous action. It involves the future, but it also can point to the past. So Schaefer says Joshua was undoubtedly affirming, I have chosen and will choose. This is the character of Joshua. He chose and he chose and he chose and he kept on choosing. The choice to follow the Lord, the choice to serve the Lord, it's a daily choice. And that's what Joshua was saying right there. It's not a once and done thing. Daily, we choose to follow Jesus. Every day, we wake up and we say, today, I'm going to serve you. Today, I'm going to follow you as the Lord of my life. That's what Joshua was doing. And I think it's kind of just coincidental or God's good providence for us that we're talking about this on Father's Day. I'm not going to beat up on dads, but I want you to see the example that's given to us as fathers right here. Because Joshua, the, the leader, in addition to just declaring his faith, was also setting an example for all of the people who looked up to him so that they could follow him. He was using his influence that he had as a leader of the people to lead the people to make the same choice that he had made. Now, here's, here's what we need to recognize really quick. Faith absolutely is a personal thing. Repentance absolutely is a personal thing. Like, my faith is not going to save my daughters. My faith is not going to get Katie and Kylie into heaven. That is a personal choice that they're going to have to make on their own. But dads, I, I want you to hear me on this. It's our responsibility. It's our calling to shepherd our kids, to lead our family, to show them what it means to follow the Lord. And a big part of that is done by daily choosing to follow the Lord ourselves. A big part of that is letting our families, letting our kids see us doing that. We let them see us pursuing Christ. We let them see us opening up our Bibles and, and studying our Bibles. We let them see us seeking the Lord in prayer. We let them see us demonstrating humility and repentance and what that looks like. Dads, if you want your kids to know what it means to be humble, to know what it is to repent, then when you sin against your kids, repent. Go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I sinned against you. I sinned against God, and it's not okay. Will you forgive me? It's not an easy conversation for a dad to have, but it is a necessary conversation. And don't put the word but into that conversation because as soon as you say, I'm sorry, but everything you just said is erased. Demonstrate genuine humility and repentance to your kids and it will help them to know how to model that and do that themselves. That's for free. That's just, just a side note. We, we demonstrate what it means to serve the Lord. We choose daily to serve the Lord. We use our influence to be an example, to lead our families to know and love and follow the Lord. But as Joshua leads the people, I want you to see that the people responded to his leadership. 
beginning at verse 16. The Bible says, The people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Like, like the people hear Joshua, and they affirm that they too are going to choose to follow the Lord. They too recognize all the ways that God has been faithful to them, how he's led them, how he's blessed them, and, and they're, they're choosing in that day to follow the Lord. They're, they're saying here that they're going to serve the Lord with their lives. And, and as they say that, what we expect to hear is Joshua saying, yes and amen. Right? As they say, we're going to follow the Lord. What we expect to hear is Joshua saying, that's great. Now go and live for the Lord. Obey his commands. Serve him with everything you've got. But that's not what he says. Right? And, and we got to deal with this. So look, look at verse 19. The Bible says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. What? For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. That feels like it's coming out of left field, doesn't it? Like Joshua has just spent all this time recounting God's faithfulness over and over again and, and pressing the people to choose to follow the Lord, to choose to serve him with their whole lives, to live the mission that he's given them to live. He's, he spent all of this time building up to that, and then when they say, yep, that's what we're going to do, he says, you can't do it. What's going on with that? This doesn't make sense until you recognize that what Joshua is doing is, is calling the people to count the cost. He wants them to know what it is they're signing up for because it's really easy to make a decision in the heat of the moment. I mean, imagine what this must have been like for the people here. They're, they're all gathered together. They've just heard this word from the Lord. They've just been reminded of all the ways that God has blessed them over and over and over again. Like, this is an awesome worship service that's happening. There's this passion that's burning in them as they're hearing all of this. And in that moment, it would be so easy to be like, yes, that's what I want. Yes, I want to serve the Lord. I want to follow him the rest of my life. But what Joshua is doing here is he's pausing to remind the people that they need to count the cost. This shouldn't be an emotional decision. He's pausing to ask them to recognize what it is that they're committing to. When Joshua says, you are not able to serve the Lord, he's pointing out the high level of fidelity that is going to be required of these people. Because Joshua knows them. He's lived his whole life with them. 
He knows how inconsistent they can be. He knows how easily they can be drawn away to serve other gods. And so he's pressing them to see that that level of commitment, the the commitment they've demonstrated in the past, it's not going to cut it. It won't pass the test. You can't say, I'm going to follow God today and then tomorrow walk off and start serving idols again. You just can't do that. That will simply bring about God's fearful wrath. And he's pointing that out. That's why he says the Lord, he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He is unlike any of these other pagan gods that they might choose to serve. The Lord wants, he wants their their full and their undivided loyalty. He will not share his glory with another. And if the people persist in sin and rebellion, if they continue to wander off to serve other gods, Joshua says, he will not forgive their transgressions or their sin. There will come a day, he's telling them, where God will say, that's what you want? It's all you. Go live in your sin. That's a scary thought. He's calling them to count the cost. He's pressing them to choose. But again, he wants them to recognize that a decision to follow the Lord today must also mean a decision to forsake all those other idols today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, and the day after that. And it's no different for you and me. It's no different. Jesus taught us the same thing. In Luke chapter 9, flip over there if you'd like, Jesus' ministry, it's on fire. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead. He has fed these massive crowds of thousands And as all of that's going on in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, we're told that it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then Jesus, he said to them, but but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus' disciples are seeing all of this. They're hearing all of this. They're excited about the prospect of who Jesus was, who he is, and he is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one who's come to redeem and rescue and reconcile Israel. But in the middle of all that excitement, Jesus stops to press on his disciples to remind them what will be required to be his disciples. He stops to remind them to count the cost. He tells them how he's going to suffer, how he's going to die, and on the third day he's going to rise again. And then in verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you see see what Jesus is doing right here? Do you see the option he's presenting to them? He's calling them to count the cost. The pursuit of Christ is going to require us to go all in. Jesus told them to take up their cross. That's not a light thing. Now, we've taken that phrase and we've watered it down. 
We talk about the annoyances that we encounter in our life, and we'll say things like, oh, that's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The cross wasn't a sliver in your hand. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. Following Jesus doesn't mean we're going to have the occasional annoyance. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to die to self. He's saying anything and everything that wants to rule in my place has got to be put to death so that you can follow me, so that you can be my disciple. You have to choose to put those things to death. And did you notice how often he tells you to choose? It's a daily choice. He tells us to take up our cross daily and follow him. Daily I kill those idols daily I put my flesh to death, daily I pick up my cross and I follow Jesus. Joshua was pressing Israel to consider the cost of following the Lord and so was Jesus. The cost is daily. Our big idea from today, the Christian life is made up of daily decisions to follow Jesus. Daily we choose. And as we come to verse 21, we see that the people recognize that and agree. The Bible says, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. They're all in. They're going to follow. After this, there's this covenant renewal ceremony where the people promise to serve the Lord. And then there's an epilogue. Joshua lives to be 110 years old and When he died, they buried his tomb there in the promised land. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and then all the days of the elders who had lived and ruled with Joshua but outlived him, and and then the book comes to an end. Israel chose. And and the way this book comes to an end, you you can almost tell that the author is, is basically presenting us with two options. Sorry, one option. The the feel of the end of Joshua, it almost, as you're reading it, it almost feels like like the author's saying, you've read all about Joshua. You've read all about Israel. You've read how they chose. Now what will you choose? Who will you choose to serve today? Will you choose to serve the Lord today? Will you choose to follow Jesus today? This book that is all about God's faithfulness. This book that calls us to serve the Lord with obedience is concluded by this powerful reminder and invitation to serve the Lord. Joshua the person, he he modeled it throughout his entire life. And in this final recorded speech, he encouraged us to live like he lived to make the choice to serve the Lord every single day. Because the path of discipleship, it's one we walk one day at a time. Each day we wake up and we say, Lord, today I'm going to serve you. Today I'm going to follow you. Today I'm your disciple. And as we do that, we know that he is faithful. 
We know that he will walk with us as we go. We know that he's faithful to provide for our needs. We know that he's faithful to lead us, that he's faithful to fight our battles for us. We know that he is faithful. Our God is faithful. And we see that all throughout this book. All that's left for us to do is decide today, will we follow him in obedience? The Christian life is made up of daily decisions to follow Jesus. So what will you decide today? That's how the book ends. It ends with us having this choice. Who will we follow? Who will we serve? The idols we make up that can't meet our needs or the God who is faithful to meet every need. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.